So I'm Mary Tautimas, and I'm here so excited to be talking with you today about how you can improve team productivity, team health, and how you can get a crystal clear vision on your future for your entrepreneurial company. Chelsea is going to be advancing my slides today because my computer won't advance my slides. So thank you, Chelsea, for also being my, my slide advancer. So you can go ahead to the first, uh, you can go ahead and advance. So on the agenda today, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to get real about your business, to get real about where you are in your business. EOS is all about working with open, honest, and vulnerable entrepreneurs who understand that they know a lot, they're really good at what they do, but also that they have a lot of room to grow and to learn and to kind of break through that next ceiling. And so it's just about kind of looking at yourself and also kind of floating above and working on your business and not kind of working at it from being in it, but sort of looking at it from an, uh, like a board of directors kind of perspective. Um, next slide or next uh, advance. I don't know. I'll just go like this, maybe. Hey, um, so the next thing is that I want to promise you that everything that we're going to talk about today is, is about keeping things simple. One of the first reasons that businesses stop growing and start suffering is because complexity is just a guarantee as businesses grow. And so everything about EOS is designed to help keep it simple and, and root out complexity so that you can continue progressing um, up, the, uh, up the scale, up the ladder. Next. The last thing is about getting results. I want you to walk away from here between the um, booklet pamphlet that we sent out with the materials in it. You can follow along on that um, or you can have a conversation. You should be able to take every, like everything that we talk about today and start working on your business with this right away. So that's about results. So getting real, I want to suggest too that uh, what we normally talk about about getting real is about taking that deep introspective look at yourself and your business. But I also want to make sure that we're taking a deep and introspective look at what's going on in the world around us. When I gave this talk a couple of weeks ago at Vistage, what was happening was the inauguration that day. Uh, what was also happening was I had COVID that week. In fact, we rescheduled our talk that week because I had COVID and everybody had COVID. That's the, to me, that's what's real right now. That's what's happening in the world today. And so I just want to acknowledge what it's taking for us to continue to try to build our businesses in the times that we're facing. And everything about EOS helps us do that even better. The companies that have been working with EOS prior to COVID said if it wasn't for EOS, they would not have had the structure and the discipline to continue putting one foot in front of the other. And so I just want to acknowledge that for me, real right now means also being real about the time that we're in. So go ahead. Um, so first I want to get real. Uh, we talked about you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about us. Go ahead, Chelsea. I'm going to give you a little brief history and a couple of discoveries that uh, Gino Wickman, the founder of EOS, had when he was developing EOS. So Gino Wickman um, is the founder, as I said, and he became an entrepreneur at the age of 21. At 23, he was called in to run his family's business, discovered that the business was in need of a turnaround. And so he worked with the leadership team over three years to turn the company around. He ran the business for five more years and then ultimately sold that business. At the same time, he was in the original EO Detroit chapter, EO, very similar to business. I'm sorry, very similar to EOS. 
very similar to Vistage. And that, that's a peer group where he was sitting there with all of his entrepreneurial peers and discovering that like most of the people in the group, 95% as he started researching of people owning small businesses were suffering. They were struggling. They couldn't get control of their business. They couldn't um, get the profitability that they were looking for. They were frustrated with the people that were working with them. And then there was this 5% of people that had it figured out. Like they were living the life. They were, they had a business that was serving their life. They had plenty of family time. They had time for hobbies and things like that. And so um, he wanted to know kind of what is the difference between these two types of businesses? What are the common problems that these other folks are facing? And then how can I help create a system and structure for that? So that's a little bit about EOS. I'll describe to you a little bit about my history. Oh, Chelsea shared it already. So I started my entrepreneurial journey um, at the age of 17, uh, not because I was some sort of an entrepreneurial prodigy, but because I had my son when I was 15 and I needed to go to work. Realizing the opportunity in front of me in my early 20s really started to develop myself and learn and grow. And like you said, Chelsea, I was able to um, grow the company really well with my family business, ultimately exit that family business. But there were so many lessons along the way. And I had read every single entrepreneurial book I could get my hands on. I listened to every podcast I could listen to from how I built this to Masters of Scale to just anything I could to learn and grow and develop myself as a leader. And then ultimately joined Vistage, discovered EOS, brought EOS into our company. And I truly believe that EOS is the reason that we were able to exit our company. Um, we had four offers on the table uh, when it came time to sell our company, which is just an absolute blessing. And uh, we're able to sell over multiples, over, over market multiples. So that's my history. And, and I worked to then move into EOS to help other entrepreneurs. If, the, if an exit is in their plan, great. If it's not in their plan, then... The way that I like to think about it is if you've ever sold a house before and then you do all the work on the house before you sell it, and then you kind of wish you weren't selling it, you wish you could live in it because you did all the things. That's the same thing with our business. How do we do all the things and then maybe live in it for a while? Um, and then, but ultimately maybe, you know, I guess you still should have an exit someday. What is that strategy going to be? Um, Stephen Covey talks about begin with the end in mind. What does that look like? And so there has to be some vision for the future as well. So you can advance. We're probably going to go through um, this one. I talked about this just a minute ago, the five frustrations of every entrepreneur. You can go through this one to the next slide. There'll be a couple of transitions. Control, profitability, people hitting the ceiling, feeling like nothing is working. Um, so if that's you, or if you're still in the beginning stages of building a business, then uh, my other thought about that is that this is what could come. This is usually what comes next. So if you're in the beginning stages, you have a different hustle, right? You're trying to get revenue in the door. You're trying to get customers for the first time. You're trying to build your brand. You're trying to gain trust. You're trying to build um, you know, all of that to begin with. The next step in business is this. Unfortunately, there is a lack of control. There is a frustration. Things get really complex really fast. And so that's why, next slide, Chelsea, um, what we do is we work to keep things simple. Everything is designed to make sure that we can root out all of that complexity. Go ahead. So everything in EOS um, is, is all of this entire system is based on your business. And so go ahead and advance through these. You can go through all six of them. Um, the first is the vision component. The second is the people component. The third is the data component. Fourth is issues, fifth is process, and sixth is traction. And what we believe is that if we can strengthen these six key components to 80% or strong or better, then you're going to be running a really great business. Because what Gino discovered when he was working with these other entrepreneurs was that 
they were all struggling with some area of one of these components. And when these components were strengthened, all of their issues, all of the things that kept plaguing them every single day started to just fall into place and kind of disappear. And the truth is too, is that this was true for me and my company as a visionary. Sometimes we feel like, you know, the best days in business are the days that we're fighting with two swords. We're like a ninja. We're like a business ninja. We're like, give me the next problem and the next problem. And we like fighting fires and being firefighters. And the thought of actually having a business that runs really, really smoothly, that we can predict the future. So what we say is that vision with, you know, we put vision at the top of the model and we put traction at the bottom because um, as visionaries, you guys know, you've worked with so many entrepreneurs, you know, that vision without real discipline and execution doesn't mean anything. It's hallucination. And there, I meet so many people with big ideas. I'm like, sounds great. My brother used to say that to me in business. I would come up to, to him with an idea and he'd be like, sounds great, Mary. Like, how is that going to actually happen? So I was your brother, that. an operator. He isn't, he's a sales guy. So it was interesting. My brother um, was this. So what happened was we were both in sales and then um, my product, I shut my product line down. He was having a lot of success with his. I shut my down, mine down and started working on the business. So I had to learn a whole new skill set, right? I didn't have any idea. I swear for three whole years, I had no idea what I was doing. And every time, but I was building teams and I was building infrastructure and Salesforce and moving from like punch cards to paychecks and, you know, like all that stuff, no management skills, no, you know, nothing. And every time a staff member came in with a question, I never had the answer. And I was always like, so, so what I did instead was I focused on culture so that they would be patient with me while I learned. So then I could say, isn't this a great place to work, even though it's a total, you know, shit show, like not, nobody knows where anything is and how to do anything. So that was my, my real training. And then we, um, and we grew really fast with that. So we grew the company from the 350,000 revenue to, to over 10 million really by that. It's the rocket fuel. It's exactly like EOS talks about when you have someone working on the business and you have someone working in it, like you can just take off. And so that's what we experienced. But at the same time too, you know, we lost a $1.2 million contract and I had to let 11 of my 25 employees go. And then when you're in a small business like that, like those are your friends, those people were there when my kids were born, you know, but then on the other side, we were making it into the top 25 in the nation for what we did in a single market. All of them were in all 50 States. So it was just, it was that roller coaster of, I don't know if you ever read, uh, I'm sure you did the entrepreneurial roller coaster, Darren Hardy. It was that it was just like, same with EOS, like reading traction or get a grip. It's like, get out of my life. Like you're in my business. I can feel it. Like, it's just horrible. Um, so I think you're scrolling at this point, which is great. Yeah, makes it easier. <laughs> I gave up. Yeah. So, uh, keep going. So trying to get to hundred percent strong, most companies are currently operating at about 20% strong. So we have the organizational checkup that anybody can take at any time and go to my website, take the organizational checkup and see where you're at. And it's kind of funny. We don't actually use it in the first session day because um, it's, it's, it's not really based in anything. So some people base themselves at, not, you know, oh, we think our vision's great, you know, and then we think this is great. But then when they dive into EOS and they start to learn what it actually looks like when everybody knows exactly where you're going and how you're going to get there, they're like, oh, dang, we're like actually like 60%. So they might initially rate themselves at 90 or you get the opposite and people are just super hard on themselves, but it's just a great baseline to say, where are you now? 
And then how do we, you know, get you um, to 100% strong? So I'm going to talk about what 80 to 100% strong looks like today, just as some reminders for you. So let's dive down. Keep going. Um, Darren, did you get the the work the workbook um, that Chelsea no, sent out? No, I'm sure it was sent. I didn't get it, but that's okay. I might okay. I mean, get it later or whatever, but it's okay. Okay, it has the VTO in it, the you know, and it has like all the tools that we go through. So how we get vision to 100% strong is by asking eight very simple questions. That's why I can do this job. All I have to do is ask you eight questions, you answer them, and then I get paid a great sum of money. I'm just kidding. Uh, it seems easy. It seems simple. Simple should not be confused with easy. So we'll talk about what these eight questions are. And really, the magic is not the questions themselves. It's the alignment that they create with this entire leadership team. So you can scroll down to the next slide. So the vision traction organizer, the VTO, as a reminder, we ask the first questions on the, on the vision side is what are your core values? What is your core focus? What is your 10-year target, your marketing strategy, and your three-year picture? This is just trying to establish where are we going. And then the next page is the traction side of the document. And this is how are we going to get there? So we're going to back that 10-year target into a three-year picture, back that into a one-year plan, then 90-day rocks. And 90 Day Rocks, Rocks comes from Stephen Covey's book, First Things First. And he does that rock exercise with the glass cylinder and there's the rocks and then there's the sand and there's the pebbles and then there's the water. And when you don't put the rocks in first, if you put anything else in first, the rocks will not fit. So you have to work on the rocks first and make them a priority. And then everything else sort of fits in around those rocks. And what he's talking about with that is, I don't know if you remember the quadrants of time. So you have quadrant one, two, three, and four. Quadrant two, so quadrant one is urgent and important. So someone in front of you is having a heart attack. You need to deal with that right now. There's nothing else. Nothing else matters. That's the most important thing. Quadrant two is it's not urgent, but it's important. And then quadrant three is not important, but urgent. So that's other people's stuff that they're walking into your space and saying, this is so important, but it's not important to you. It's important to them. And then quadrant four is not urgent and not important, which is totally like Netflix and chill, which we need that too. So quadrant two is about the most important work that we could ever do. So it's not urgent. There's nothing that's pushing on you that says like, if you don't do this, you know, the whole world's going to explode. Nothing, but it's the most important work. So this might be putting time into your relationship with your spouse. This might be reading, this might be exercising, this might be meditating. There's some of the most powerful things that you can do to live a really great life and run a really great business, but there's nothing pushing you to do it. And so when we create rocks, what we're talking about is creating a deadline so that we can create urgency out of the things that there is no urgency. It's like should do some days, things like that. And it moves these major projects forward. Um, and the benefit to that is, you know, I'll say in our company was that we went from, we, in, in I think our second year, we lost a million dollars in revenue. Revenue went down by a million dollars, but we were up by $600,000 in cash because the rocks and the things that we were solving every single quarter were making us more efficient. We were finally getting rid of that program that was costing us 30 grand a month. that was just impossible to extricate ourselves from, right? Or things like that, that you know, we need to finally change that system that's been plaguing us for a long time. That was one of those things. So um, stuff like that. And then the issues list is a parking lot for people like me who have 
20 new ideas every single meeting. I start three new businesses in my head every single morning. I'm driving by other businesses thinking I should invest in that. I just went in and told, we're all over the place as visionaries. We can see all the possibility all the time, which is a blessing and a curse because of those 20 ideas, only one of them is maybe good, right? And so we need a place. The issue is that the visionary lacks focus and discipline most of the time. I'm that person. So I need people in my life to help me execute, but I also need a place to park my big ideas. And so this is a way to say, okay, so I'm going to bring into my weekly meeting and I'm going to say, you guys, you guys have to hear me out on this opportunity. And then I'm going to go into it and I'm going to be so good at selling it that they're going to be like, we should do that. And then my integrator is better at this than I am. And my integrator looks at money, resources, people, our rocks, our one-year plan, our 10-year target, and they're going to run through this through this filter and say, is this really a priority right now? Is this an opportunity? Is this a threat? Like, okay, it goes on the issues list. We're going to park it there. And then once a quarter, we'll come back and we'll look at it. I will probably cry. That will probably happen <laughs> because I'm really excited about whatever it is, but, he, but he's right. It needs to go there. And, and if I don't do that in my life and in my business, then we're never going to get anywhere because I've just got energy going out all the places all the time. So let's dive into these. Um, we'll talk first about your core values. Your core values are something that we discover. So when we teach EOS, when I work with a leadership team, there's no list of words like integrity and hardworking and you know whatever. There's no list of words that people are choosing from. It's a discovery exercise that we use and we, we pull it out of this team so that we understand who they are at their core and what they truly value the most. And so what we're going to do from there is we are going to live and breathe those as a leadership team. And then we are going to hire, fire, measure, and manage according to these core values. And the last couple of teams that I've worked with, they're like, no, 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 we already have that. I'm like, cool, then let's validate it. Let's make sure that that's what it is. Because every time you talk to me, every time I'm talking to you, you're talking about people who are toxic in your culture. You're talking about people who don't have the same work ethic as you. I don't think you understand what core, va core values should sort that out on a very, very simple um, level. So I'll talk in a little bit when we get to right people and how we use the core values, very black and white to evaluate, do we have the right people for our unique organization? Because someone that does exactly what I do down the block, that person might be great for, they're just not a good fit here. So what are those values? Um, so next one, I was gonna advance it myself and then I realized I couldn't. Uh, the next one is the core focus. So the core focus is, it's our why. That's the purpose, cause, and passion, which is synonymous. It's like whichever word works best for you. Mine is passion for my business. I'm just a very passionate person. So I like passion. Other people might be purpose or cause, but this is why you do what, what you do. What is it that, that gets you up out of bed every morning? I pop up like a piece of toast every single morning. My husband, my kids will tell you four o'clock in the morning. I can't wait to get started because I'm so passionate about what I get to do every day. Thankfully, it wasn't always that way. So what is that why for your organization? And then the niche is what? So very simply stated, what do you do? So um, what we do is when we're working through this exercise, there's a, a circle that we have and it kind of looks like the yin yang uh, thing in the middle. And we look at it like a ball. And what we're saying is, is if we can use this this, if we can stay focused on this ball, if we can hit it perfectly out of the park. So you can use the sports analogy. I like to use the lens analogy because the same filter that I talked about earlier of what do we need to run these decisions through? I'm going to run this decision through a core focus. Is this in our core focus? There's a lot of peripheral products and services we can offer 
Does this actually fit into what we said we were going to be about? So that we know when to say no. The issue isn't a lack of opportunity. The issue is having filters to make sure you know when to say yes and when to say no. So core focus really helps us get laser focused on what it is that we are best in the world at and, and why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, next one is the 10-year target. This can be anywhere between five and 30 years out. And this is just the big business goal. What do you want from your business? So we want to be in you know, five new markets with 300,000 customers. Or we want to, um, you know, it can be measurable, it can be qualitative, it can be quantitative, but it's the number one big business goal. And this is just like getting everyone in the company's heads going that way. Like that's the way that we're going. It's just big out there. That's where we're trying to go. But then when we get to your three-year picture, one-year plan, that's that big picture goal is going to back up into measurables that we actually influence every single week, every single quarter. So if that makes sense. Um, the next is the marketing strategy. So the target market or the list is what is the demographic, geographic, and psychographic profile of the people that you need to be spending your precious marketing dollars and energy on? And so what is that target market? What are the businesses? What are the customers? So that we know exactly what to say to them. Because when we are crystal clear about who we're talking to, then we can get the messaging right. And so you could have one or two target markets. It could be that you have a B2B customer and you have B2C customers, whatever it is. What is the precise messaging that we need to say um, to, to that target market? Second question, oldest marketing question in the book, which is three uniques. Then what we do is we ask uh, proven process. Do you have a proven process? And a proven process is a one page illustration that shows what it looks like to work from you from the moment someone's thinking about becoming your customer all the time to when they're a longtime business partner of yours. It's just a one page document that says, here's what it's like to work with us. When you have that, you have total alignment around sales, operations and marketing because a lot of times sales are out selling stuff that operations doesn't even do, <laughs> you know, like that can happen. So it just, it, it makes us all crystal clear about exactly what we do and how we do it. And then 50% of the time companies have a guarantee, 50% of the time they don't. We just ask the question, do you have one? What is it? And then we apply it here in the marketing strategy. The next question is my favorite question as a vision. Oh, here's our proven process, by the way. So this just shows you, you know, from one step to the next, 30 days later, we'll do this, 30 days later, then we'll do this. This is the exact site. This is the whole process of working with us. So you know what to expect. And it's funny because even though I hand this out and have this conversation many times, people still come back with the questions. Because another thing that we say in EOS is we have to say something seven times for people to hear it the first time. So it's nice that they can walk away with this tangible, here's what it's like. So you can go forward. So uh, go ahead, keep going. That was my proven process. This is my favorite question because what this does is this gets the entire leadership team for the first time focused on where we're going. So our three-year picture. So the what is the future date? What is future revenue? This is the first time we're talking about revenue. What should our profitability be? And then what are the measurables? So if we said we wanted to be in five markets with 30,000 customers in 10 years from now, where do we need to be um, in the next three years to be on track for that? And then how do we start to predict that? Part of that's gonna be, where are we now? Part of that's gonna be, what were we gonna be investing in infrastructure? Where right now we might be only growing by 10% every year, but we can predict that in two years from now, we'll probably be closer to 15% per year. So let's increase, you'll do your predictions, get into what that measurable is. And then we paint a picture of what does it look like? So we have a new headquarters, we have three company vehicles, we have two you know, 
I don't know, 200 right people, right seat. We're just painting a picture of what does it look like in your company three years from now so that people can start to align their vision, all of their visions together around it to say, oh, that's where we're going. So that's the three-year picture. I love that process. I have so much more I would say about that, but we don't have time. So we'll talk another time. Um, on the VTO, on the traction side of the document, we have the one-year plan. We, one-year plan is just bringing that three-year plan, backing that into the next year. What are we gonna get done in the next year? Same thing, future date, revenue, profit, measurables. And then what are our goals for the year? What are the things that were most, uh, are the most important things that we need to accomplish to be on track for that three-year picture? Then we back that into rocks. Okay, well then what do we need to do in the next 90 days to get us on track for that one-year plan? And then also uh, we're looking at our issues list. So we're every single quarter we're recreating our rocks and every single quarter we're looking at that 10-year target. We're looking at that three-year picture. We're looking at our one-year plan and we're looking at our issues list and we're saying, with all of this information, now, what do we need to accomplish in the next 90 days? So you have all of that around you sort of on the board to figure that out so we can become better predictors because everything about EOS is getting better at short-term and long-term predicting. Next. So you can go through these because I just did. Perfect. I forgot that it does that. So then the next question is making sure that everybody in the organization shares the vision. So what we do is we you can go to the next one. Um, oh, I didn't have it. It's shared by all. So there's second bullet point on that is we have the eight questions shared by all. So SBA is missing. And what that means is that everybody shares it with you. It's not something that you're dictating. And then people are like, I guess we're going this way. Like they actually want it and they're a part of it like inside out. So that's, that's shared by all. Okay, so the next component is the people component. And we talked a little bit ago about right people, right seats. Um, you can go forward. Looks like this one. Oh, I think this one, yeah, go ahead to the next one. I think it messed it up in the translation. But I'll just, are you familiar with the people analyzer, people analyzer, Darren? Oh, you're muted, you are, okay. Um, good. So the people analyzer. I, sorry, um, I, oh, that's I, I'm okay. familiar with it. I didn't use it, but I, okay. I was aware of it. I, I just did something different than this, but go ahead. Okay. So the people analyzer, what we're going to do is we're going to put our values at the top in the columns, and then we're going to put employees names next to that. And we start with the leadership team. And so we're going to evaluate plus, plus, minus, or minus. Do we have the right people in our organization? And we have a bar. So if we have five values in my company, you'd have to have three pluses and at least two plus minuses. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has these values hundred percent of the time. And then we have a minus. Um, if we have a minus, that's probably not the right person for this organization. So there needs to be some coaching. There needs to be an action plan. Is this person gonna, uh, do they have the ability to correct that? Whatever it is, but we're regularly saying, you know, one of our values is grow or die. And I've been asking you to pick any book at all, the whole, I don't care what it is and read one book and you haven't. And like growth is a huge part of our, you know, like something like that, or you haven't taken a single training in the program. So that's one of the values. So we measure, manage, hire and fire according to value. So that's a people analyzer. That's how you turn this issue very black and white um, and make it so that all those, you, those kind of behavioral things, you're like, I don't know what it is about Jim. He produces, he hits his numbers. He's just, I don't know, all that I don't know stuff comes out here in values. Mary, let me ask a question if I could. Mm -hmm. 
So when you started doing EOS in your business, um, how much did you find that the people analyzer was ultimately getting you to a place where you had people that now it was clear they were not in alignment and those folks, you know, found the door themselves or you realized much quicker than you would have otherwise that they needed to go. So did you see turnover once you started doing EOS and you had tied down your core values and, and you had made it clear what we're about and what we believe in? Did you see it um, basically ferreting out what I call the dead wood? Yes. Yeah, it does. And it doesn't mean that, that something's going to happen tomorrow. It just means that we've right. got an issue, right? We're back to, right. all right, we've got an issue. So yeah, it does. I, I would say that with EOS, you, um, a lot of organizations end up with around 20% turnover. And, and it is, it's a lot of people that we've been needing. I, I facilitated a session a couple of months ago and this guy had, um, I think four minuses and I paused the session. I'm like, what? what are we doing? Because our job as leaders is to provide the best peers possible. Like we're not doing our job as leaders here. This is horrible. And then it turned out there was a transaction and it was based on, we had to keep this pin in for the, you know, like that sort of thing. It's like, okay, well it's, but we have the data to tell us that this is not going to be the right person for this organization. So right. it does, it does. It clears out the deadwood pretty quickly. And also too, for people, I mean, it can be pot. Like for me, one of the things I realized was that my values were different than the rest of the organization. Like this was a me thing. Like I didn't fit here. And so you'll get leadership team members that go, I, I'm not the right fit. And, and it was just like, cool. Okay. Then let me go figure out where I should be because I'm grow or die. Like I'm like, you know, I'm this, this other, and, and this isn't really an industry or this isn't, you know, and it's interesting because after I left our industry and our business, I started to like expand out of, like I was in this jar that I wasn't aware of, of values that weren't me. It was just, I was just fitting into the industry. So it was really interesting to experience. It was helpful. Well, the, the owners, I mean, quite frankly, the owner's core values are what have to be front and center of this. You know, you can't have an organization with a bunch of people that have one set of core values and the ownership has different. I mean, getting getting that figured out and synced up is extremely important and also tricky uh, that the, at the end of the day, those that are making the hiring and firing decisions, the ownership, the managers, top management, they're the one, they're, they are the core values of the organization. It's impossible right. for you to have an ownership with one set of core values and uh, an organization with a different set. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. For you, you had two or three other partners, your family, and you could say, Looks like the three of you are going this way and I'm going that way. And yeah. you were in a fortunate situation where you could exit yourself, right? Yeah. Um, or whatever. So, but that's a unique situation. Uh, it's the owner that drives usually. Hopefully yeah. you've seen that same thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's right. Like I can't imagine an organization where it's like the management team is this, but everyone else below, no, it's, it has to be this completely all the way through. And you see that Absolutely. with a company as large as like Southwest Airlines, right? Like the values are all the way through, through and through. Um, so yeah, good. I like it. And that's in your, your people analyzers in your thing, your uh, booklet thing. Um, okay. So then right seats, the, we'll move down to right seats, keep going. Um, we'll move into the accountability chart. So what we do on the first day of an EOS session is we do what we call structure first people second. So we push everybody out of the leadership team off the seats. And then we say, okay, what does this need to look like 
in the next six to 12 months to get us to where we're trying to go. Because so many, so often organizations hire the family member, hire the cousin, so-and-so sister's out of work. Cool. Bring her in. She kind of knows how to do that thing. Like we just hire as we're building and it makes sense and it's fine. But at some point we're building seats around people. Well, it's like, well, Sally's not really good at that. So let's make it be this instead. No, this company needs this. And does Sally fit in that seat anymore? So we believe that every organization has these um, at least four seats. So marketing, sales, operations, and finance, sometimes marketing and sales is separated. Um, and then we believe that every great organization has an integrator, which is the person that really beats the drum. They're the glue that holds this leadership team together. And they are phenomenal at execution, details, getting into the weeds, understanding all of the resources we have available. And then you have your visionary at the top. And the visionary is that person, like we described earlier, that has all the big ideas and they want to see all these things done. And so we need to filter those things through the integrator who has a handle on what can we actually do. But the integrator has to have some level of vision as well. That's really important too, because otherwise they'll never be able to grab it, right? They'll just everything will be like, nope, can't do it. Can't. You need some flexibility and play there where the integrator is like, okay, I see what you're saying there. Let me see if I can make that work. And so then they take it back down and they figure out how it goes. And your brother um, was the integrator, right? No, my brother was in the sales and marketing seat. Talk about awkward moments. Who so, was your integrator? Was um, it a family member? No, it was an operations person. And my, he was part of the new organization when they were you were bought out. He stayed with. Yep. Yep. So I I and and the way that it happens is the leadership team votes into each other's seat. You vote into the seats. So you ask, well, who wants the seat? And I'm like, I do. And my brother wanted the seat. And we talked about it a lot going into it. Like, well, which, uh, and we were both said, whatever the organization decides, like whatever the leadership team decides is the right fit, then we'll go with that. And we had a lot of conversations about it before we went through that process. And I got voted into the visionary seat. And then my integrator got voted into her seat. And then he was in sales and marketing. And then um, she was in, uh, she was also in ops. And then I had a finance guy as well. So, and then ultimately have a, have a CMO um, and an, an IT guy in the leadership team. So it was, that was tough. That was a really tough, like family. There were tears definitely that day. It was hard. Um, and now my brother's in the visionary seat, which is where he should be for this organization. It's perfect. So he is very visionary, but when you, <laughs> when you put us together, I like, uh, yeah, he's, he's family more, dynamic. Family dynamics. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Quick question. Mary, I'm just curious out of, with this chart, um, for these different roles is, can there be overlap? So it sounded like your integrator was also your operations person, per, person in smaller teams. Just do some of the, do some of these roles not actually be like someone could be multiple positions, uh -huh. I guess is what I'm asking. Yep. So you can have one person in more than one seat, but you can't have two people in one seat. Makes sense. And so that was some of the issue that we were having was that we had two people in one seat. My brother and I were co-CEOs and there's no such thing. I mean, there is such a thing, but there's no such thing. So it's like someone has to be responsible for something. And you and so the whole point of this accountability chart, and we call it accountability, not org, because I'm not showing you the organization. I don't care what you call yourself, your title outside of your CEO, COO, CMO. What I care about is what are you directly responsible for and who reports to you and who are you responsible to manage? And so that's how we do this. And so um, go to the next one and I'll show you. Um, so what we do is we, first we, we decide what are the functions that this company needs? So like, it may not be some that someone that we have right now. Um, and then we have to name the roles and it may be that someone, so let's say this is the marketing seat 
it may be that the person who's sitting in the marketing seat, when we pushed everyone out of the seats and we said, what's good for the future of the company, it may be that there were two things added to this seat that that person doesn't know how to do right now. So, okay. We, and I, and as a facilitator, I'm like, here we go. Like you can see it coming and it's very, it happens a lot that leadership team members are not on this team anymore after the meeting or they say, okay, you've got six months to like level up in that way. Or, you know, it, anything can happen. Um, focus day is always the most interesting. So what we do is we say, okay, we need these roles. So if this person is responsible for anyone else, they have, they have what we call LMA, which means to lead, manage, and hold accountable. That's the first role. And then what are the other four functions? And to add to, you know, Chelsea, for your question, sometimes it's not clear, like someone's sitting, you could be sitting in three seats right now. And then we're just sort of bundling it all together. And it's not clear to everyone else. Like, what do you do? I mean, I know you do a lot of stuff, but what do you do? So on the accountability chart, now we can clearly see, oh, Chelsea's sitting in this seat, this seat, and this seat, and these are her roles. Now we can see clearly that she has way too much on her plate. She's got, you know, six people reporting to her or whatever it is, we can see it clearly. And let's say that your business grew 10 times in the next three years. It's entirely possible that each of these roles is a future full-time position. Mm -hmm. So you can start to see where your hiring needs are looking at this accountability chart. So let's say this is a marketing seat and let's say that social media, I don't know, management was, was a role in that. If you became a company that was, you know, 10 times or hundred times your size, that that's a seat, that's a future function. But right now it's a role within that function. Makes sense. So let me, let's go down. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Keep going, keep going. Oh, and then the, the other thing too, is that we want to make sure that whoever's sitting in that seat, GWCs that seat. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the people analyzer. We're going to put, you know, that person back in the seat. And then we're going to say, do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? And capacity is not a time thing. Capacity is a skill or talent. Um, and could they be trained on it? So um, that's how we make sure that we've got the right people in the right seat. You end up with a couple of people issues uh, when you have the right person in the wrong seat. So you have the right fit. They're the perfect person for this organization. They fit the culture. We love having them around, but they're in the wrong seat. They're not any good at what they do. <laughs> so we have to decide, do they go into another seat? And if not, this is probably a for-profit organization. So we need to help them along into whatever it is that you're, they're going to do next um, and support them in that. But we can't keep people around just because we like them. And then the next thing is the wrong person in the right seat. So that's someone who's super toxic, but they are 25% of your revenue or more, right? So that has to be dealt with too. So you can scroll down. Um, that's 100% strong and right people, right seats. Keep going. Data is just about scorecards and measurables. You guys know what scorecards are. So I'll, I, I do like this quote though. I will say this. If we have the data, let's look at the data. If all we have are opinions, then let's go with mine. And I love that because it's so accurate and we're always, so often we're making decisions based on egos and emotions and feelings. And so we need to start looking at the data. So here we're looking at really activity-based numbers. You know, if I'm trying to lose weight, I could have the scale as, you know, a goal, like maybe I want the scale to be down a pound per week, let's just say as an example, but that's not a, that's not a, um, that's a lagging number. Like I could have eaten X number of calories. I could have slept X number of hours. I could have worked out X number of minutes. Like all of those activities, if I do all those activities, I shouldn't even need a scale. 
So the whole point is what are the leading activities that I need to be doing? And then where can I see I'm going to have troubles? Because if, if my team was supposed to be making 50 sales calls a day and for two weeks, they only made 12, I can start to see those trends. And, and it's like, Hey, we've got to hit the phones. We got to have a, a call blitz because we've got to make up for this. So before, way, way, way before it hits PL, So we can start to predict some of these things. Um, so we create a leadership team scorecard first, and then ultimately a scorecard for each department in the organization. Okay. Keep going. Everybody gets a measurable. That's measurables. Keep going. Um, keep going. Uh, the next component is the issues component. And so um, we have what we call an issue solving track. You can keep going. Um, I'd like to go down to the level 10 meeting. If we can just go okay. down um, and I'll talk about the issue solving track there. We'll skip process. We know we need it. We have a very simple three-step process documenter, which I'm happy to share anytime. Um, so critical, but I really think that a level 10 meeting is, is super important. Um, it's kind of the EKG of the business every week. So here we go. So in the meeting pulse, in the level 10 meeting, um, what we're trying to do is we're meeting every single week for 90 minutes with the leadership team and all of the like knocks on the door of, do you have a minute, the Slack messages, the emails that you're getting, all of that stuff starts getting channeled into the level 10 meeting every single week so that you can stay focused on what you're working on longer. So you're saving minutes, hours, um, distractions, when you think about all the time that you're so distracted, you know, like deep work, the way you get to deep work is by not having interrupted time and instead channeling all your energy into a single meeting every week, if you can. So a level 10 meeting is what we call it. That's when you meet the same time on the same day. Um, you start on time, you end on time and you have the same agenda. And so I'll show you the level 10 agenda. So the first part of the meeting, man, it really like destroyed my PowerPoint. <laughs> It's like all over Sorry, the place. Guys. It's okay. It's totally cool. So um, the first thing is that we have good news. So what I'm going to say is, okay, guys. So is so first of all, when we say we start on time at 9 a.m., if meeting at time is 9 a.m., we're all here in the Zoom five minutes before. There's no like waiting. It's the rudest thing ever. And I used to be the person that would like slide in at the last minute. It's like no, five minutes early. We're on time. As soon as we hit 9 a.m., whoever runs the meeting says, okay, guys, segue. And we segue. And so Chelsea's like, okay, uh, last weekend, you know, I'm so happy because my dog, you know, I don't know, finally peed outside. And then um, on my professional news, I have, you know, I finally got this task or measurable done. Awesome. We go around the table and what it does is it connects us at our heart and it connects us and it gets us working on the business and gets us out of our day to day. Then we work on the scorecard. We just review the measurables. Then we work on the rock review review the review are they on track or off track and there's absolutely no discussion here whatsoever um any headlines that we need to talk about and then we recap last week's to-do list so all of the things that we said we were going to do last week need to be done at 90 percent. and this is where things get really sticky and you start to really get traction um no pun intended it's just really happens like you start to feel it like every week you're like oh my gosh we're really starting to get stuff done and we're we're really solving our most important issues but the, uh, as it relates to most important issues, I want to say the issues list is one of the most powerful parts of EOS because the reason we don't start talking up in the scorecard because a measurable is off is because we don't actually know if that's the most important thing for us to be talking about today until we can see the list. 
So what we say when we're up in the scorecard, if there's an issue, is we say, drop it down, rock review, drop it down. Maybe your rock's on track and I just want to hear about it. I say, drop it down. So now we have this stacked issues list every single week of the most important issues. And we can prioritize if we can only talk about one thing today, what is the most important thing that we could talk about? And then we say one, two, three, we prioritize them. And then we dive in and we start solving those issues. And we try to minimize too much discussion and more time actually solving, making sure we're at the root also. A lot of times we name the symptom, not the root of the, of the issue. So that's what we do. And then we um, rate the meeting. We say, how did we do today as a team? And we say, oh, I give it a seven because we were talking too much up in scorecard. And then somebody else says, I give it a 10, even though we only solved one issue, it was the most important issue. It's been plaguing us for like six months. So I'm really happy we did that. And then you conclude the meeting. So uh, the level 10 meeting is in your workbook, um, your handout. It's phenomenal. It's super helpful. In, and actually I've had teams say, it, it, even with all of our facilitation and all the hard work that we do, that the level 10 meeting was worth the price of admission to EOS because of how productive they are each week. So I think I'll leave everything there. I hope that was helpful.